Up World. Surpassed first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also the latest installment of Mailbag Monday, where we answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week, regular season, postseason, offseason. Locked On Blazers never rests. Mailbag Monday never rests either. If this is your first Mailbag Monday, welcome. There are a couple ways to get involved. If this isn't your first Mailbag Monday, this is just a weekly reminder of how you get involved. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. It's Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Uh, you can just send me a question whenever you're thinking about it my way on Twitter, or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's how you get involved. We do things here in three segments. This show just happens that all three segments are the same. That's how Mailbag Monday works. Let's get into it. The first question comes from Michael R. Gunter at BeLikeSup on Twitter who asks, Will this be the year that year that CJ or Nurk make it to the All-Star game? Blazers haven't had a second All-Star since LA. That's LaMarcus Aldridge, for those of you who don't know. Will it take a better record or stats for either to make it? Here's the thing. <laughs> It'll take both. Uh, generally speaking, for the Blazers to get a second All-Star, they would probably have to be second or first or second in the west in late january when the voting really ramps up when it when it wraps up uh it's it's not easy to be to to get into that fraternity for the first time and if you are a mid-level playoff team the chances that you get two are very very unlikely there's just numbers games stacked against these guys. The West has a bunch of good players, a bunch of marquee type players, and there's a lot of guards taking spots away from CJ McCollum. And frankly, because there's no center designation, it's just it's just front court, back court. It makes it harder for Nurk to get in too. So obviously, it's record. Like the, like I said, the Blazers got to be one, two, one or two in the West, I think, to get multiple All Stars. They could be three and probably get multiple All Stars. They could be as as low down as three. But even then, you got to think that unless the statistics are wild, that they're just going to credit say, hey, these guys improve, but really it's all about Dame. And the improvement has to be dramatic. CJ averages 22 a game every single year, 22, three and three, 22, four and four, probably not enough, probably not, not enough to be an all-star. We're talking like 27, five and five gets him in probably this year. That seems unreasonable. He kind of is who he is. He's a really good player, not an all-star. Nurk, uh, you know, he could he could probably get there. He he seems like he has more room to improve. If he just makes more twos, like he everyone talks about him making three-pointers, but for Nurk, it's about making two-pointers. Um, if he finished around the rim a little bit better, he shot about right around 50%. If he shot up towards 60% right at the cup, uh, he would score more points. And I think he has a chance to be, you know, like a 2012 and five guy and that's his path to the all-star game but yeah better stats i don't exactly have specifics i kind of outlined it for you but it's really about record the blazers aren't one of the three best teams in the west you're not even in the conversation without the record portion of it okay next question comes from matthew at revan romulus on twitter who asks i have two hypotheticals what is more likely next season the blazers have a second non-lillard all-star on the team or they draft the rookie of the year Ooh boy 
I'm going to say rookie of the year. Um, the, I think the draft is, well, it's, it's in theory, it is a bad draft. And what to me, when I hear the word bad draft, what I mean is it means like no consensus in near the top, which means it might be easier for people picking in the middle of the first round to pick a good player, a la Malcolm Brogdon, when he was uh, a mid-first round pick in a year that was kind of a down year, and it was just easier to get a guy later in the first round who ended up being pretty darn good. Also helped that Ben Simmons didn't play that year. Shout out to him. So I'm going to say more likely they draft the rookie of the year. Um, I, I think getting an all-star is going to be tough, and I think you, the bar for rookie of the year is lower. Second hypothetical for Matthew is, what is more likely? The team does a sign-and-trade with Hassan Whiteside, or they use the $7 million trade exception. Man, man, hoof, hoof, hoof. Neither of these seem very likely to me. Um, Hassan Whiteside sign-and-trade, I just, I can't, I'm having trouble imagining a scenario in which a team wants to sign Hassan Whiteside to a deal in which they also want to give the Blazers something back for their troubles. It just... The Blazers don't have, they have no interest in keeping Whiteside back, so there's no sort of give and take. There's no um, there's no negotiation to be had. And usually when you do see something like this, it's where either like a max player wants to do, you know, give somebody a couple seconds on the way out or they or it makes more sense to do a Terry Rozier, Kemba Walker sign and trade because you're going to way overpay for Terry Rozier. Maybe there's a path forward where the Blazers way overpay for someone to get rid of Whiteside in some sort of exchange, but I don't see that coming. So I'll say trade exception, but I don't think that's likely either. I think this sign and trade with Whiteside is like a 2% chance of happening and this and the $7 million trade exception, $7.1 million trade exception is like a 2.8% chance of happening. They're both very, very, very unlikely in my opinion. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka 28 on Twitter, who asks, is Damian about to Fred Van Vliet the league next year with twins on the way? So when Fred Van Vliet and the Toronto Raptors were in the Eastern Conference Finals in the spring of 2019, Fred Van Vliet's son was born. Frederick Edmund Van Vliet Jr. Shout out to my boy, Freddie Jr. Uh, Fred Van Vliet went nuts immediately after Fred Van Vliet Jr. being born. He was he was shooting like 26% from three for 15 games. And then through the three games after his son was born, he shot 68% from the field and hit 14 of 17 threes. That's 82% from three. He went absolutely bonkers. But Adam, I'm going to need you to put some respect on Damian Lillard's name. If 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 Damian Lillard Fred Van Vliet's the league, he will be getting worse. He will be getting worse. Damian Lillard for six games last year was the best player on the planet. And for three games after his kid was born, Fred Van Vliet was really good. The second best point guard on his own roster. Don't get it twisted. Fred Van Vliet is like my favorite player in the NBA. But come on, dog. Damian Lillard had 40 points the night that Kayla, his his fiance, went into labor with Dame Jr. He's already had a Fred Van Vliet moment and he's already bet, way better than Fred Van Vliet. Put some respect on his name. Next question comes from Tam Tamterius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter who asks, maybe a trade for Ennis Cantor with the trade exception. So yeah, the Blazers are in possession of the aforementioned $7 million trade exception. I, while this would work for Ennis Cantor, I don't exactly like it, the way trade exceptions work is uh, if you do an unbalanced trade, you get an exception back that makes up the difference in the money you sent out versus the money that came in. 
the Blazers got one in the Trevor Reza Kent Bazemore trade. So you could absorb a player using the trade exception into your into your roster if their salary uh, meet, falls within the exception. You can't combine them. There's a bunch of rules, but Cantor would work. Like mathematically, it would work with Cantor. But why would the why would the Celtics do that? Cantor helps them. They they don't need to shed salary, and if they do, they don't need to shed a cheap backup center. Like my answer to this question is. Yeah, maybe, maybe they do do that. But I think when you're thinking about trades, I think the best way to think about them is what would make both teams happy and shedding Ennis Cantor for nothing? How does that help a team that wants to win a championship? What does that, how, what does that do for them? Like, I guess it gets the Celtics out of luxury tax hell, but I don't read that as a team that wants to get cheaper. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Like I said, maybe, but I just, I don't see it happening. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. You know rockauto.com because they're the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. And choosing the prices is the best part because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that because you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there enjoying their reliably low prices, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Go. From the good people who brought you Built Bar comes Built Go, the best workout gel on the market. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every single day. Here's what Built Go is. Like I said, it's the best workout gel on the market. It comes in these one and a half ounce packages that are easy to take with you. Throw it in your back pocket, throw it in your bag, and go. Help you break through that wall. It's like five-hour energy without the crash feelings. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. And it comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Here's why it works so well. Because Build Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets in your system quickly. Plus, it's easy on your stomach. Build Go is also loaded with good stuff to ignite your work. That's beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. It's a little less caffeine than a standard cup of coffee. It's what you need to break through that wall, like I said. And it also will keep you going strong because Bill Goh's got B6 and a ton of B12, 10,000% of your daily value of B12. This is the workout gel, the boost you've been looking for to help you break through that wall every day. So get your hands on this by visiting builtgo.com and using the promo code LOCKED, that's L-O-C-K-E-D you'll get 20% off your next order. That's a promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Francis Mack at Francis underscore Mack on Twitter who asks, 
among all the former Blazers free agents, Mason Plumlee, Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, Pat Connaughton, Shabazz Napier, Scalabissier, Myers Leonard, rank the possibility of them coming back this offseason. And also, can you give insight on whether these players really like Portland and the team or not? So I, I don't mean this to be corny, but like I don't know of of anyone on this list Certainly no one on this list, and then the list is very short of people who I've even had inkling who haven't particularly cared for their, cared for the team or the setup. The only sort of player I can recall who I kind of thought didn't like being here was Seth Curry because he wanted more touches and he felt like he was watching a lot of Damon CJ. But I don't think he, I don't think he disliked the team. I just think he wanted a bigger role and he went and got more, more money and more share of the ball in his hands in the second unit playing in Dallas. Mason Plumlee legitimately loved living in Portland, was really settling in. Mo Harkless really enjoyed being on the team. I don't know if he always loved his role, but he really enjoyed being on the team. E.T. absolutely loved it here, loves Damian Lillard, good friend. Uh, A.C. Crab, I, I think, you know, you give a dude $70 million and after you draft him, he's going to really enjoy it. Pat, Shabazz, Scal, love, loved, enjoyed being here. I don't know if love, love, loved being here, but enjoyed being here as far as I know. And Myers Leonard, this was home for him. He, he I think he envisioned himself being here for as long as he possibly could, not just the seven years he was there. So rank the possibility of them coming back. I'm going to put them all at very low. In fact, I'm saying they're all basically at zero. I think the only like somewhat realistic, and I don't even think it'll happen, is Mason Plumlee because the Blazers have a need as a backup center, and they could probably offer him somewhere in the range of what he's what his value will be on the open market. Which, but I don't think they're giving Mason Plumlee the full nine million dollar mid level exception. The rest of these guys, I can't see it happening. For the record, Francis Mack said in a follow up tweet that they would prefer. Mo Harkless to resign, and I I think that would be of of this group that would be the player I would most I think would be most valuable for the Blazers to target. He can play the three and the four. He's a competent defender. His shooting has really fallen off the map the last two seasons. He's just an, he's just a terrible shooter over the last two years. But I think he does enough good stuff to help you for the most part, despite um, being a little bit wonky on offense. Okay, next question comes from Dalton Schuster at Dalton Schuster two on Twitter who asks. I think Kyle Kuzma is getting moved to this offseason. Would you think what do you think about his fit in Portland? Would you trade Trent straight up for him? That's Gary Trent Jr. My first thought is Gary Trent Jr. is a better player, but if you get Kyle Kuzma, there's your starting four man. This might just be a case of wrong tree dog. Uh I think you're just barking up the wrong tree. I don't think Kyle Kuzma's good. Um I think he's I think he's significantly worse than Gary Trent Jr. right now. He's big, he's athletic. Uh, there were moments in the playoffs where he was a focused and competent defender, but he's not much of a shooter. He's not much of a playmaker. His best skill is cutting off the ball with LeBron James. The Blazers don't really utilize a lot of cutting in their offense. Maybe that's something you want them to do, but they're more of sort of a spot up and then attack on closeouts type of group. And beyond me just being kind of a Kuzma doubter, why do you think he's getting traded? I mean, he is like the only tradable part in the Blazers roster. He's young. He's on a cheap contract, but he's heading for free agency. I just, they just won a championship. I think they're probably better off just giving it one more go with Kuzma and then deciding what to do with him in the off season than trading him because I don't think his value is super high. Like I just, I don't even think I agree with the premise and I certainly don't agree with the trade. Maybe Kuz gets traded. I know his name was always in sort of like headlines for trade rumors, but it was because he was the only player on the roster that the Lakers could trade. They just don't have any other trade chips.
they have a bunch of adults on the roster. No one's trading for a, no one's trading for Troy Daniels. They had to cut his ass. I don't know why Troy Daniels just caught a stray there. I apologize. Troy Daniels seems like a cool guy. I'm sorry. The Lakers just, of course, Kuzma was always getting rumored to trade. I don't think they're moving Kuzma. I think it's, I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't think it's a good trade for the Blazers. I'm out. I'm out on Kuzma. I'm sorry. Dalton, you got me worked up. I was mean to Troy Daniels because you got me worked up. Honestly, great work. <laughs> Congratulations. You did it. Let's, with that, let's go to the third segment. We'll close out Mailbag Monday with more of your questions. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked On Blazers. Still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Dame Jr.'s Burner at Dame at Burner Dame on Twitter, who asks, It's pretty clear that the Blazers have three main roster issues to address this offseason. One, a wing defender. Two, a backup point guard. Three, a backup center. Let's assume Mello, Whiteside, and Ariza are kept around. Odds are there's not going to be any major trades, seeing as we do not have the kind of assets that would help us acquire the kind of players we are looking for. So that gives us two opportunities to address our needs, the draft and free agency. Say we draft a player like Sadiq Bey, addressing our wing def- defense problem. Taking all of these things into account, do you think Jeff Teague would be a reasonable free agent? Essentially, do you think A, he, he, do you think A, he'd be it would be something that could happen. And B, do you think it would solve the issue? So this is the most thorough, thoughtful, and specific question that ends with, what do you think about Jeff Teague that I've that anyone has ever crafted? No one has ever in the history of all podcasts crafted a question so thoughtfully, so detailed that walks you into the thought, what do you think about Jeff Teague? So yeah, I love, I love the construction of this question. I guess it, some of it answers your own question, hence the premise. Whiteside stays around. That addresses backup center. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but for the, premise of your, for the premise of your question, let's allow it. The second part of your premise that I'm a little bit worried about is you draft a rookie, Sadiq Bey, and he answers your wing defender problem. Other than Matisse Thibel, over the last five years, I'm, having hard, I'm hard-pressed to think of a dude who comes in as a rookie on the wing and is an answer defensively. Even Thibel wasn't quite like a lockdown defender. I'd, I, I'm not sure any rookie comes in year one and solves like the playoff team X needs really good defensive player. I just, I, I don't, that seems unlikely. But again, we're accepting your premise. So now we've walked to the third part of the premise where it's Jeff Teague. And my answer is this. If you sign a veteran point guard like Jeff Teague. If you sign Jeff Teague, a guy who's been an all-star and been a big-time contributor, you are signing him so he absolutely plays a boatload of minutes. And while I understand the premise that the Bla- and that other smarter, louder voices than me have said the Blazers should target a backup point guard, one of the reasons that I'm a little skeptical that they do it is because if you if you sign Jeff Teague, you are signing up for a whole bunch of time where you take the ball out of Damon CJ's hands. And quite frankly, those two gentlemen have balked at that opportunity in the past with other vets. Dame doesn't like to play off the ball. He wants it in his hands. He can control the action. CJ's just better with the ball in his hands. He does more. He You give him the ball and he goes to work. You don't give him the ball and he's he's just kind of spacing on the wing. So while may, maybe I'm being stubborn and saying the Blazers have always done this, so they'll always do this, and you're the one thinking outside the box and actually being creative, I just think well, there's so much evidence to say that their two best players don't do that very well. And so 
wasting some of wasting a lot of your or using I should say a lot of your free agent capital on a guy who's maybe not going to fit alongside your two best players to me I'm not super into it I would sign a worse version I would sign a worse point guard than uh Jeff Teague because he's only going to play 12 to 14 minutes a night at the very most and there's gonna be a lot of nights where he doesn't play and if you sign a player like Jeff Teague with his type of resume maybe asking him to play 12 minutes once a week out of your four games is going to piss him off I'm more in favor of signing a minimum type point guard because they'll understand what what the role is, and I don't think I think Jeff Teague's gonna Jeff Teague's gonna make more than a minimum. In general, I do think this is a reasonable target and uh, a, a good idea. It's just maybe not one that Mike G. Rich is in favor of. Okay, next question comes from Jordan Poe. That's at Jordan Powell four five six on Twitter, who asks if we don't re-sign Mello, thought on a potential trade package for Blake Griffin. So Blake Griffin is definitely someone the Blazers have had interest in the past. I know that they've sort of kicked the tires on on Blake Griffin in the past. I'm not sure how far that interest got down. I'm not sure they got on the phone and were talking trade deals, but I know that they had interest in acquiring him in past seasons. But I don't think the Blazers can trade for him now, quite frankly, unless they move CJ McCollum. And I'm, at, me personally, I don't recommend that. Uh, in the past, the reason why they could do it is because they had big contracts. Um, expiring deals for like Mo Harkless and Evan Turner, uh, Myers Leonard. You throw those guys in and some sort of young player and, and draft picks, and maybe the, the Pistons accelerate their rebuild by heading in that direction. But the Blazers don't have big um, big money, and if you're trying to... They don't have big money contracts to trade that aren't CJ McCollum that would make it happen uh, to get a guy in a max like Blake Griffin anymore. They just That's just not how the roster's constructed. And if you're constructing a sign-and-trade and thinking that you can send them white, send white side out and, and absorb... Uh, Blake Griffin back in uh, sign and trade contracts have to be three years at the minimum and I don't think the Pistons want three years of Hassan Whiteside at 20 some million dollars to accelerate their rebuild and get rid of Blake Griffin that doesn't that it just doesn't make sense uh, so I don't think I mean Blake Griffin has he's injured all the time and he's probably a center at this point in his athleticism package um, I think it would help the Blazers because he's good he's really good when he's healthy he's just never healthy but I don't think they can get him Next question comes from Jesse from Gmail who asks, what do you think would have happened if Mello would have chosen Portland instead of OKC coming off his all-star year with the Knicks? Would he have made a difference during the regular season to earn a better or worse seating in the playoffs? Would he have helped or hurt in the playoffs? Would it have affected Mello's career and would he still be with the Blazers in this scenario? So my feeling about where Carmelo is now and him helping the Blazers is because he had the failures that he did. If he didn't get humbled in OKC where he was unplayable in the playoffs, uh, they had to bench him in crunch time. He just couldn't defend. He basically lost them that playoff series because they were committed to playing him big minutes and he was no good. He stunk. And then OKC got rid of him, traded him to Atlanta where who, who waved him and he signed with Houston and he lasted 10 games and he just wasn't any good there either. He didn't accept what his role was. He didn't, he just wasn't, he was not physically or mentally prepared to be a role player in the league. But 10 months out of the league, 10 months out of the league and then finding a situation where they would let him start because I think that was very important to Carmelo Anthony, finding him that situation where he could still start but he accepted that that role as as a complimentary piece. I don't think he gets to that spot mentally without the failure in OKC and without the failure in Houston. I think he had to, he had to have his ego checked. He had to have, he had to ha come to the realization that he wasn't the player that he was in New York City. And that while New York kind of let him get gaudy numbers and do what he does, when he was put in a position where he was playing high level basketball and not just on a shitty 30 win team, he just wasn't that player anymore. I don't think, I, I think if he goes to, 
Portland when he went to OKC, while maybe Damian Lillard's magic makes him a little bit different than the sort of Paul George and Russell Westbrook vibes did in OKC. I don't think I think it ends in a pretty similar way where he just he he needed he he needed the failure to real to get him to the place he is now. So I, I don't I don't think him coming earlier, while it's it's a nice it's a nice thought, I don't think it changes anything. I think this I think his I think his failure in OKC in Houston was inevitable, and I think it allowed him to be the guy he is today. Next question comes from Hamilton from Gmail, who asks, You always say that you're a pass first point guard. You've also said that you are really short. So where did you play basketball? Be specific. Any team you have ever been on. Okay, I played for the Chapel Hill Parks and Rec Rockets when I was in the third grade. Uh, I played for the Colbreth Cougars middle school basketball team. I played a summer of JV basketball at East Chapel Hill High before I was cut because I'm 5'7", and at the time I weighed about 140 pounds. So when I was not on a high school basketball team, I then played back to Chapel Hill Parks and Recreational Basketball, where I played for the Dutch Masters in the 11th grade, and then the Dutch Masters Return of the Red Eye in the 12th grade. We had red jerseys. I wore number 23. It was pretty tight. I played at LA Fitness at Lloyd Center. I played at 24-Hour Fitness in the Pearl, 24-Hour Fitness in Hollywood. Played basketball at Trinity Lutheran Middle School. Played basketball at Boise Elliott Elementary here in North Portland. Played basketball, pick up basketball at the Peninsula Park Community Center. Played basketball at Atkinson Elementary. What I'm saying is I don't have an organized basketball background. I'm a nerd. I'm an avid pickup basketball player, but I'm a nerd. And what I want the takeaway to be here is that there's a lot of people like me in sports media. There's a ton of white nerds. I've worked for newspapers. I've worked for websites. I've covered the team for six years as a white nerd. I didn't need an athletic background because white nerds get jobs. And what the media landscape needs is to normalize hiring non-white nerds. Look, nobody saw this question going in this direction. You thought it was a joke about me playing for a basketball team named after a cigar company. That's what the media landscape needs because all too often the qualifications necessary for non-white people to break into the sports media world means they have to have played sports. It's not the same standards for white nerds. So let's make it normal to hire all types of nerds. That's the takeaway. Hire all types of nerds. Everyone deserves a shot. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks for letting me hijack a question about whether I played college basketball or something and uh, turn it into a soapbox about hiring practices in the sports media landscape. But if they give, if they gave you a microphone, you could do whatever you want with it. This is what I chose to do with mine. We got more great shows coming this week. And do a season wrap-up on Carmelo Anthony. I know we closed the show talking a little bit more about him, but later this week we got a whole episode, 25 minutes of all Carmelo talk, looking back at what he did this season and what's next for him with the Blazers, whether he's going to return and all that. It's the last of our season wrap-ups, player capsules for every player on the roster. We've got everyone but Carmelo done, so if you missed any of them, check back in your feeds. We're also five weeks away from the NBA draft, so we're going to transition into more NBA draft content coming this week. If you've got questions about guys who the Blazers should target or who might be available when they pick in the middle of that first round, start thinking about them. Send them my way. We're talking draft for the next month. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.